Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners navigate the wide variety of options that they have available to them after a career in consulting. I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change. The goal is to help our audience understand all the options that they have available to them and ideally learn from our guests, both in terms of what they got right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Rahul Malik to the studio. Rahul, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Ken, for uh, for giving me a chance to, to be on this podcast. You bet. You bet. So Rahul, let's, I guess, let's kind of kick things off. Um, would love to just, I guess, get a little bit of background on, on yourself and kind of, you know, give our, give our listeners the intro. Happy to do that. Happy to do that. So I am currently the managing director of North America for a media company called the business of fashion. We produce uh, professional content about the fashion, beauty, retail, luxury industries, primarily targeting those who work on the corporate side. Uh, of, of those industries. But I've been with the company for now coming up on three years. I had originally joined the company in London, having moved from New York. And prior to my current role at the business of fashion, I'd been a longtime consultant at Boston Consulting Group. I'd originally joined BCG out of undergrad back in 2011 uh, and had a, had a career that was a bit in and out. So I joined BCG I was there for about a year. I left and joined a startup. I came back to BCG. I went to business school. I came back to BCG and and then ultimately decided to transition full-time out of consulting, which brought me to to my current company, The Business of Fashion. But I've covered a number of things in my career. I began very passionate about the airline industry uh, and then started to focus much more on both fashion and media, which made my current current company a really logical and, and interesting landing point. And Rahul, for those of our guests that don't get to see you on video, I, I will say you might be our most well-dressed guest. And I think that's very, <laughs> very, very fitting. You, you are too kind. <laughs> you know how to stroke my ego. Well, well he, uh, for our listeners, I know you can't see it, but he's got, he's got some some cool frames on and a and a much cooler uh, business dress shirt that I have on. Uh, but um, so let's start <laughs> off, Rahul. Business of fashion – uh, you know, I know you said it's a media company, but kind of what is it and what is it that you all do? I found the easiest way to, to perhaps talk about what we do is, is in some sense to talk about the origin uh, of the company. You know, media in different sectors, uh, I think, has evolved uh, in, you know, with, with a different relationship to the, to the sector that it covers. And for decades, media about the fashion industry was hardly independent. You know, it was a largely advertising driven business. It was in many ways, uh, existing in a very symbiotic relationship with the brands and retailers that made the industry tick, which meant that a lot of the coverage about the industry wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily very rigorous uh, or very independent. And so, the business of fashion is an analytical and independent, uh, you know, media company that produces primarily written content, but but content you know across a number of different mediums uh, about the fashion industry, uh, attempting to treat that industry with the rigor and seriousness that an industry of that scale, of that scale and, and in influence really merits uh, and, and deserves. And so the business of fashion emerged uh, in some sense, not as a business, as a blog. Our founder, uh, who was himself uh, an ex-consultant, had left consulting, was kicking the tires on, on uh, some entrepreneurial uh, endeavors in fashion and on the side was writing 
you know, in 2008, 2009, a blog that eventually became the business of fashion. And that blog took off, I think, in part because it was offering uh, something that really hadn't existed before, which was a sober, data-driven take on an industry that, yes, is very creative, but, but also is a really complex and large industry. And our business has grown since then. And we are, uh, and certainly endeavor to be a daily resource for executives who are steering some of the most well-known brands and retailers, for professionals throughout those companies, and also for students and aspirants who are interested in the industry, but also trying to build their understanding of it and try and figure out how they themselves might want to enter it. That's extremely interesting, especially for someone that used to rely on the set. I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, but the satorial, the satorialist. Uh, on, I, I mean, I I remember going that you know once or twice a week uh, to figure out what I was going to wear. I, it's actually something that uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy fashion as well. Um, that's cool. What was the name of the blog, if you don't mind sharing? Um, that that started it all. I think it was. Uh, so I don't remember if it was .blogspot.com or what the what the, the back half of the URL was, but it was I think it was called UberKid, and and so our founder had just registered it. It was some you know it's probably some random domain because it really wasn't. It was just an outlet I think for for his own exploration of the industry. It wasn't intended to be much more than that, which is I think what's always funny when when the business evolves from or, or you know the 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 blog evolves from that into becoming what is now a full-fledged media business with 100 people around the world with four or five different constituent businesses, something that I think is much different than than its original incarnation. That's incredible. And yeah, it's especially I, I can only speak from the perspective of, of, of a male, but like I, I just remember when I started my career in consulting, first of all, I didn't know what the heck to wear. Um, and two, like I... I it wasn't really a thing, you know, it wasn't really a thing like it is now and professionalized to kind of like, you know, even understand kind of what the options were, uh, especially for, for men's style. Totally. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of people try and, they, you know, they go through their own journey in, in some sense. Um, and, and, you know, similarly, uh, have always been passionate about it and, and probably went through some sort of uh, journey to, to try and find my, my own style in terms of where it is today. But I think along that way, also started to just develop an appreciation for the underlying industry. And I think throughout my career, I've always found it really exciting and in some sense empowering to work very closely with creative industries. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a very typical path, certainly for, for a consultant, but I found myself fortunate to enough to, to have those opportunities. And so when I was thinking about leaving consulting, I was thinking that uh, I really enjoy being close to those type of creative industries in which there is real, consistent, genuine creative output. Uh, and I was interested in trying to find a way to, uh, you know, to bring myself closer to that. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about creative industries is if you know, for decades, right, they've been dominated by, you know, by, by artistic people or creative people that, you know, and, and I think it's interesting when you apply kind of like a, a, cons, a consultant in that environment, right? It, 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 it brings, it brings, I don't want to say a level of sophistication, but it brings kind of a, a leg, level of a rigor around kind of like process and kind of strategy and tactical things um, that I think makes a lot of sense. So um, obviously what you guys are doing uh, is working. Um, and, and Rahul, what's, what's kind of your role at the, at the company? I have a few different roles that 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 uh, that probably define how I spend my time. Part of what I do, probably half of what I do, is we've launched in the last year a new business 
within the business of fashion called BOF Insights. And so our core business, as I mentioned, is you know kind of day-to-day reporting, it, very analytical reporting, but fundamentally journalism in, in the traditional sense, uh, as you might expect it. And we've often thought that there is an opportunity to supplement that journalism with our own proprietary research and analysis. And certainly, you know, in the past, I think given the uniqueness of the type of reporting that we do, we'll have consultancies, brands, retailers, private equity funds come to us asking for our point of view on a particular theme, a particular company, even a particular category to to guide their work, to inform their investment diligence. And and we've when you know we've we've been interested in uh, more formally being able to. Uh, deliver upon that and, and resource against that. And so part of what I do is is help oversee that business. We've now hired a few team members. We launched last year. We've been really, really pleased with, with the reception in the market uh, and now in the process of scaling that into being a subscription-oriented research and analysis division within the overall company. Uh, I then spent a lot of time with uh, with our board uh, and investors. We're a venture-backed company. Um, you know, We raised a Series B in 2019, and I spent a lot of time working with those investors, uh, and, you know, at our board, just as we also think about how best to grow a company uh, as a whole. And certainly, just given the the unexpectedness, if you will, of the past couple of years, you know, we've had to just you know take a step back and try and figure out how do we want to evolve ourselves and what we do and how we do it uh, to best weather uh, what seemed to be a never ending set of storms. Uh, and and lastly, you know, where I spend um, now increasingly much more time, having moved back. To the U.S. from London, where most of the company is based, uh, is just spending time thinking about how we can build uh, our presence in North America, in particular, where we feel like just given the sheer scale of the market, we have disproportionate headroom to grow uh, and, and you know and build our presence and compete in the marketplace. Excellent, and you brought something up which I want to touch on, which is kind of the impact that the pandemic had on your business. Uh, I mean, given that you're a, a, a media company on, on one hand, um, in in some ways it's it's not so impacted. But then, given the fact that a lot of your distribution channels for you know t- you know typical means of, of distribution channels for fashion are severely interrupted, uh, as well as events. Like, I mean, what was the what was like kind of your your take on the pandemic and the net effect on on your business? You know, well. One of the fascinating things that, you know, that for me, myself, having joined a media business from consulting has been really interesting to, to get exposure to is just the, the number of businesses that sum up to form a media business as we see it from the outside. Uh, you know, fundamentally, what we do is we have an audience and we grow that audience. And, and then we have a number of businesses that serve different needs for that audience. And those businesses all had differing positions of security, if you will, during the pandemic, you know, our core business, which is a subscription access to to our journalism, did really, really, really well. You know, at a moment of extreme uncertainty, of you know, extreme crisis that, given um, you know, kind of given store closures and lockdowns, was deeply affecting the fashion industry. You know, professionals turned to us as a beacon of understanding of okay, how can I help? You know, how can I navigate and figure out what's coming? And so that part of the business. Did really well during the pandemic, and in some sense, you know, I think it re- really empowered us to feel really secure in the mission of what we do. Because in a moment of of complete disruption, we felt that the value proposition uh, of our journalism really, really, really shined. Of course, the flip side of that is we used to have uh, pre pandemic uh, a, a really important roster of in person physical events uh, that that were really important for the business. Important, um, you know, important parts of the revenue contribution of the business, important brand building exercises for us, 
And very, very, very quickly, just given the size and scale and complexity of those events, we were trying to figure out, all right, how can we hold them, you know, if at all? And as 2020 went on, it was very clear we weren't going to have any physical events. And that for us required uh, quite a bit of transition into how do we redo what we were doing physically, digitally. Obviously, you know, we need to think about that very, very differently. On one hand, it's easier perhaps to execute. On the other hand, the monetization potential of something like that is a bit lower. Uh, and so we just had to work through that, you know, that aspect of our business. And I think excitingly, now we're returning back to, to doing many of those events in, in person. Okay. And uh, you mentioned kind of having three primary responsibilities with your role. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of what your customers or clients look like. Um, I'm guessing it's a mix of consumer as well as B2B. Exactly. So we, um, you know, for our core business, certainly, you know, our customers are a mix of professionals in the fashion industry, and we are either you know, selling them individual subscriptions or we're selling subscription access via the companies that they work for. Um, and we also then have a large population of, you know, of professionals who work in adjacent industries, whether that's on the agency side or their advisors or their investors to the industry. But for them, having an understanding of, uh, you know, what's happening in fashion across a number of different dimensions is really important for their own day-to-day work. We also have a population uh, uh, or an audience of what we like to think of as uh, as as prosumers, if you will, I think fashion, like many industries, but fashion has uh, just a following well outside of those who work in in the industry. And there's interest in in the inside baseball of it, if you will. And so there are people who don't work in fashion, but really value and, and take away a lot from just learning about how the industry is working and you know t- digesting our analysis on a particularly impressive uh, campaign or move by a company or a particularly uh, impressive expansion into a category. They themselves are interested in, in learning about that, even if they don't directly work in the industry. And, and then we have an audience of students and aspirants. They want to work in the industry and, and we're a resource for them to, to build their knowledge base and, and also just help to guide and influence where and what is a very large and massive industry they, they want to see themselves and they want to build their career. And and what have I guess what kind of trends have you seen kind of overall? So you you've been in the business long enough now that you've probably observed some some kind of like high level things. What have what have you seen in the last kind of like five ten years? Trends in terms of the fashion industry? Yeah, just just in terms of kind of like emerging trends or anything like that. That, that like for let's say like our you know I I consider myself like I'll take myself as an example. I consider myself very interested in fashion in the sense that. I like to look nice uh, and and I dress a certain way for certain things and everything like that. But the I wouldn't say I'm I'm particularly finding myself um, researching the the fashion industry like at at a whole. But I guess I'm curious to like for someone that's just interested in how they look. uh, What what are we missing? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Sure. I I mean, a few different things come to mind, and and I don't offer these in any sort of uh, priority order, but but there's certainly topics that that we think about a lot. Uh, that and that you know, if you consume our journalism, you'll see day in and day out our, our reporters uh, tackling with. One is, I think there there is a an obvious casualization in terms of how we dress, but I think it's coupled with a bit of anxiety in terms of trying to figure out now in a world of extreme casualization, how do I find and figure out what's appropriate. Because where there used to be very explicit norms uh, of what's required now, I think there are just a lot of implicit uh, or even ambiguous norms, um, such that I think a lot of people are just trying to figure out and navigate, all right, how is it then that, that I should know how to appear in a particular 
uh, set of circumstances. And I think it's coupled also, you know, in a moment in which uh, there's just far more flexibility and freedom to express yourself through style, through clothing, you know, however, however you want. So the two sides to that coin on the business side, uh, you know, I think the climate impact uh, of, of the fashion industry is rightfully coming under increasing scrutiny, um, you know, both in terms of just the impact of the production and manufacturing and transport of clothing, but also in terms of just the sheer amount of consumption or certainly the sheer amount of clothing that's produced per capita. And I think a really rightful question of just, well, how much clothing do we need? How much newness is required in an industry that's you know built on seasons, that's built on kind of this sense that you must constantly refresh what's in your closet, what you're wearing to, you know, whether that's to match a, sp- a specific set of trends or even just to continue to inject some freshness. You know, I think there's a questioning of just how necessary uh, and sustainable that cycle is. Uh, and really not even how sustainable it is, but but really a, a recognition of how unsustainable it is. And I think that feeds into something that that I know my team uh, on the BOF Insight side has been thinking about quite a bit, which is uh, what are new business models that that could represent a greener future for the fashion industry? One of those business models is secondhand fashion. Certainly secondhand fashion has existed for decades, but what we've seen in recent years has been the advent uh, of these online resale marketplaces that are increasingly sophisticated, that are also attracting uh, you know, legions of, of consumers who we don't really think will age out. Uh, and we've been fascinated with how resale as a way of consuming fashion, as a way of uh, also uh, injecting what you might currently own back into, back into the marketplace, back into the ecosystem is becoming a really sustained way of shopping and participating in the industry and discovering new brands and also just perhaps making it a bit more of a circular and sustainable business. That's a pretty cool way to to pick things up too, especially for uh, I personally whenever I buy a piece, I, I actually as a consumer, I think about is this is this a timeless piece? But I've never like that 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 thought is is very important to me as someone that you know is going to buy something right. Um, um, am I gonna am I gonna wear this for the next ten years? Is is a, is a question that I have for probably eighty percent of my wardrobe. Um, but um, it's interesting that you say that because I've never thought about it from a climate perspective. But I, I see what you mean in terms of kind of like the the secondhand um, kind of markets that are are becoming increasingly relevant uh, as as well as the casualization point. I mean, I, I mean, not just kind of, uh, cl- uh, not not just kind of like what situation you're in, but also kind of like what geography you're in. If if you're in Palo Alto or San Francisco, you wouldn't dare to think wear a tie. But if you're in DC or New York, it, it becomes a real question, right? And so, um, I, I haven't ever kind of like picked things up from that point of view. So thanks for sharing that. Of course, excellent. I think we touched on this a little bit, but in just in terms of kind of like. You know, obviously you're interested in the fashion industry, but kind of like what got you, what got you kind of like initially interested in uh, the business of fashion? Kind of like what, what made you make the leap from consulting uh, or from BCG to where you are now? I had focused the last third, if you will, of my consulting career on media and fashion. And so for a variety of reasons, I actually knew about the company uh, that I now work for. I either knew about it because it was, you know, as I was mentioning, a great resource uh, to really stay apprised on what's happening in the fashion industry and and to really digest someone's very analytical and, and one re- well-reasoned take. And so I had a really high regard for the business of fashion because it was 
for most days, you know, for me, it's just a, a resource, one that I was checking in the morning at various times during the day uh, to consume media about the space. And then the media part of me knew about it because it was an example of uh, a new digital upstart that was subscription oriented, that was not driven by advertising money is that I think represented to me then and, and now being on the inside still represents to me an example of, uh, uh, I think, a really innovative and and sustainable business model in media. You know, the shift, if I take a step back from print media to digital media, has not been the kindest to the industry. It's actually been really challenging for the industry to try and chart out and figure out what is a right, profitable, sustainable business model to produce digital content going forward. And the business of fashion, to me, represented an example of uh, an upstart that was doing it right. And so when I decided to leave consulting, which really didn't have anything to do with the business of fashion, I just had always known uh, at some point that I wanted to transition from being an advisor to being an operator. Uh, I was thinking about smaller companies that were still scaling, that were tackling something that intuitively really mattered to me. And I had a chance to meet via via someone in my network, the Imran, you know, who's the founder of the business of fashion and uh, and, and I just really left that conversation thinking that it would be really fascinating and impactful to have a chance to join the team. And it coincided with the fact that they were looking to, to, to grow the team and, and one thing led to another. And that's how I ended up here. Yeah, no, that's a, that's, that's actually a unique story because most folks that end up at wherever they're going to end up usually don't, they don't necessarily know about that place before, you know, like, but I mean, you knew about the company more as kind of a consumer and then, um, and, and then made the leap, which is, which is a good story. Um, so Rahul, you talk a little bit about kind of the difference between being an advisor versus being an operator. Could you tell us a little bit about how you've picked that up and what you've observed since joining and, and maybe how things are different now versus as, as a consultant? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's certainly the, the toughest element of the learning curve uh, I, you know, I've found. I think at the end of the day, there's a real difference in doing really you know, amazing, rigorous, analytical work that's fundamentally meant to be advice. To some sense, it's a set of really well-structured, well-reasoned thought starters. Uh, and then trying to put that, put that into practice is, is really tough. It's just never as neat as the slide says, and it's never as easy as the Gantt chart might suggest. And it requires far more give and take than, you know, than I'd ever experienced in my consulting career. And I've been fortunate. I'd left consulting once before. I'd worked you know, worked at a startup company. I had a sense of what it was like. And, and that's ultimately what I was really seeking in, in leaving consulting and, and looking to join a company, uh, was to just try and put so much of what I was doing in practice and try and figure out how hard that is. And, and the reality is it's, 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 it's that much harder and it's that much more rewarding. At least that's been my personal experience. Uh, and I think the flip side, uh, or, or perhaps something that I think about uh, in, in addition to that is just the excitement I get from really being accountable for a set of targets. It's really hard to know exactly how something will go. Uh, and, and, you know, even in the context of launching a new business for the business of fashion, you know, putting together a business plan, as you might expect, using a lot of the skills I developed as a consultant, uh, and, and then actually holding myself accountable for those targets has been a really exhilarating, stressful, but, but ultimately rewarding experience because, you know, what I've realized is there's a plan. And then when you go and try and implement it, it never quite works. And you really then just have to 
have to go back to the drawing board, but in a really focused way to, to try and make things happen. And I found that to be just an exciting part of what's going next for me. That's pretty unique. I've heard folks pick up kind of the operator versus advisor piece differently, but not from the signing up for targets, right? Because in consulting, you're you're signing up for a plan, right? I, I, I will I will gather this information and I will present these findings, which to be honest, like looking back now, doesn't seem like you're signing up for much, right? There's not much risk. You you can be wrong, right? And that's obviously not good, but you can be wrong. I think what you talked about, which is interesting, which is around targets is like, there's also a lot of external factors that are completely outside of your control that in a way, not only you're signing up for a plan and you're going to do these things, but you're also relying on variables that are completely outside of your control. Absolutely. And I think what I found at least is that that accountability actually drives and fuels far more creative thinking and out-of-the-box thinking than I might have expected uh, coming in. Because my experience has been that when I know that I'm accountable for a certain goal, you know, to the company, to you know, to, 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 to my boss, to the management team, and and the plan isn't working, I, you know, suddenly the team, you know, we're huddled about drawing up the list of things that we might have disqualified before. But now we're like, well, maybe we'll try that. Maybe we need to just do it this way. And and I found that to be actually a somewhat liberating experience because it's in those moments that you end up trying things and doing things that you just wouldn't have thought to do before. And and I just really value that. And I found that to be a really educational component of my of my day-to-day job. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I hadn't had that realization before, but it, it's something I kind of enjoy about my current role as well. And that, you know, I, I, I never thought about it from that paradigm. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I guess on the same kind of line of thinking, where do you feel like consulting has set you up for success with what you're doing now? No doubt there is a, a way of thinking and a rigor to the thinking that I carry forth, you know, in, in my day-to-day. In my day-to-day. I just do think that there is a fundamentally structured approach to organizing thoughts, to sequencing activities, to trying to decide what to do and why to do it or what not to do and why not to do it that that I think is incredibly valuable. That you know, that's a bit of a that feels at times like a bit of a superpower. So much I think of operating in a business as trying to figure out where when to say no and why to say no. And that can be really challenging to do. And I found that certainly having the training and exposure uh, of, of kind of how to engage in that thinking, but in a really methodical way, has just been an accelerant in, in being able to do that. You know, I was also fortunate, probably like all consultants, especially having joined BCG out of undergrad, I was just constantly in environments and rooms where I had no business given my lack of seniority being I mean, you know, just time and time again was interacting with executives and clients who were far more experienced than me, far more knowledgeable than me, was presenting in in those kind of environments. And I think there's a there's just a calmness that I've taken away from that uh, in terms of being able to thrive in a variety of different environments and try and you know maybe overcome any sense that I don't necessarily need to be in that room that that I've just found to be really, really valuable. You know, it's valuable in a sales context. It's valuable, you know, representing myself to the rest of the company. It's valuable when 
I and others speak with investors and board members. It's just valuable in, in so many different ways. Um, and, and I think consulting probably more so than, than even other professional services careers really just seems to have found a way of inserting people who are very early on in their tenure in those environments, but setting them up to succeed. Uh, and I think, you know, that's just really been a helpful skill for me now, you know, now here outside of consulting as an operator inside of a small, you know, smaller company. I agree. And, 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 and they do, and consulting does it in a way that almost doesn't even let you know how much you don't belong in that room at the time. Like, I, I don't know about you, but like my experience was, uh, I felt like I did belong. And now looking back, I'm like, what what were you doing in that meeting? You, you like I mean I, I'm kind of half joking, but also half serious. Uh, uh, I don't know if you had that same same experience. Oh, absolutely. And you know I can think of particular projects in which, as a consultant, I had particular autonomy, and at the time that felt amazing. And uh, you know I'm I'm really thankful for it. Now you're right. With some remove, I look back and I'm just surprised that someone is willing to sign off on 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 that on that way of working. I think it also teaches you though, that, that, you know, as an outsider and, you know, in many ways, I suppose this is the value proposition of, of bringing in external consultants, just as an outsider, you do see things or ask questions that others just probably had, had asked years ago and, and, and don't even think is worth asking again. And that, and that it can be just a really revealing process. Uh, and and so it's you know despite feeling sometimes that I was so young and and surprised at the meetings I was in or the people that I was interacting with, I do think that's one of the reasons it worked because I was deliberately put there to try and understand as an outsider what was going on you know with a particular client or a particular situation and 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 that process was particularly useful given that in some sense I knew nothing going into that environment. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely agree. Um, and I guess, okay, so if, if if one thing I like to ask all of our guests too is just if, if you were talking to someone that's currently in consulting and considering a career in something like fashion or, or, or maybe media, um, what advice would you give to them? I have always focused my career around industry. Uh, and I say that because, you know, when I joined consulting, all I wanted to do was work on projects that were in the industry that I was passionate about at the moment. And, you know, it was first airlines and then it was media and, and, and fashion, but I was relentless, quite a shift. And, you know, I'm still quite passionate about the airline industry and, and I'm the kind of person who has a particular set of things that, you know, that, that, that I love to go deep on. And all three of these top, you know, all three of these industries are examples of that. But, you know, the advice that I have, and this comes from my own experience. And so perhaps it's very tailored to how I've, structured my career is I have just sought to exclusively focus then on the thing that I'm, that I'm interested in. And so, you know, when it came to media and fashion, I was relentless in trying to find the partners who could offer me that type of work, who could bring me on, you know, on as bring me on as part of the projects that they were doing. Uh, And, and I think that was necessary. You know, the big consulting firms are at the end of the day, marketplaces of talent and projects. And if you have a sense of what it is that you want to do, you really have to go out and find it, but also go out and market yourself in the right way so that you're an attractive 
profile to be staffed on on a particular project. And when it was airlines for me, when I joined VCG and all I wanted to do was airlines work, I had actually, you know, no credible airlines experience. I was just out of undergrad. Uh, I was, you know, uh, an airline dork and knew everything, uh, you know, that I could read about from the industry from the outside, but no practical experience. And so when I left BCG, I, I left to go join a startup airline and ended up coming back to BCG. When I came back to BCG, I was a pretty credible airlines person all of a sudden. I was, it was that much easier for me to find that type of work. Uh, and, and so it, perhaps it's a bit of a chicken and egg challenge, but I really think just thinking about how to make yourself really marketable to be staffed on projects in this space that you might be interested in and then just going and aggressively pursuing that is from the vantage point of someone who's entering consulting and has a sense that they want to move on and and go into a particular industry i think just a really a really important if perhaps obvious way to to actually make that happen otherwise if you're not too careful uh, you know a, consult, a consulting career can go by pretty quickly and if you're interested in media you might have accidentally spent all of your time you know it, running the halls in in various pharmaceutical companies or big banks or or whatnot and i think just Trying to solve for what you're interested in is is important. No, I think that's right. And in fact, I I remember in consulting, a lot of folks were super proactive about networking with the people that they wanted to work with on the projects that they wanted to be on. And at the time, I was I was I was dumb. Uh, I, I'm st- <laughs> I'm still not quite you know considered bright. But I I always looked at them like, huh, what, why are they why are they why are they like why are they, it's almost like the kid looking for homework after class, but looking back on it now, I'm like, wow, they, they, they made it a lot more out of that situation than I did. Cause I kind of just floated in the wind, uh, during my consulting career, if I'm being totally honest, it worked out, but I, I look back now and I, I don't regrets the wrong word, but I, I wish I was a little bit more proactive about two things. One is networking and then two, just about the projects that I was going to be on. You have way more influence, um, than, than you, than you probably think, uh, to an out, I guess from an outsider's perspective. Definitely. I mean, and, and there's always a limit to that networking. Um, you know, it only, it only goes so far, but, but I think just even trying to put yourself in the position to know at least who the right partners are and to whatever degree possible, put yourself on, on their radar is, is important. And, and for some people, I do think trying it all is the value proposition and that's great, right? That that's absolutely what they should solve for. For whatever reason, I've just always been animated by a very specific particular set of things. And so when I thought about my consulting career, all I thought about was how I could do those specific things. Well, it's it's worked out for you clearly, um, and uh, and you've got uh, you know a lot of exciting a lot of exciting things going on. Um, I speaking on the same topic of learning. Um, one of the things we like to do is we're kind of curating a, a, a consultant library, if you will, uh, Rahul. Um, any books that you would recommend to? I, I don't even want to caveat the question too much, but what what books would you recommend to to anybody in our audience? I, I tend to read a lot of fiction, and so I was, uh, you know, I'm, ne- I'm never sure if, if if those kind of recommendations resonate here. But but I'll I'll draw on two nonfiction books. One I suspect is really well known, but uh, a- after long overdue, I finally read Shoe Dog, which uh, which is you know Phil Knight's book on 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 the founding and, and early early decades of of Nike, and I just thought I thought it was such an impressive, inspiring view of really the odds you're up against in that kind of 
entrepreneurial endeavor and just the sheer grit that's required to to push through it all. Uh, it, you know, and, and one other book that I'd recommend that I'm reading at present is one called Barbarian Days by uh, William Finnegan is is the author's name. I think he's and he's been a longtime New Yorker correspondent, but uh, he grew up surfing. And the book is I, I kind of a, a coming of age tale, if you will, but really told through his deep passion, obsession with surfing and the art of it, the sport of it, its nuances, its subcultures. And, you know, for someone I think who's animated by a different set of, of kind of similar passions that I can just go endlessly deep on, I found that book to just be a really inspiring, inspiring retrospective on what it's like to really fall in love with something and fully immerse yourself in it. And that element of it has really resonated with me. Well, thanks for sharing. I, um, you know, it's interesting. We, we get all sorts of recommendations and, and we, we actually do get a fair bit of fiction Rex uh, as well, just because, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I, I think I sometimes ask the question too directly and I need to be a little bit more open-ended, but, uh, but we've gotten a lot of really cool books. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to check those out as well. Um, well, good stuff. Um, Rahul, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Um, if anybody is interested in learning more about business of fashion, um, could could you maybe tell us how to how, how we could find that? Absolutely. So businessoffashion.com is the best way to immerse yourself in, in everything that we do. Uh, if you are interested in the day-to-day journalism, you know, we offer access to that via our BOF professional subscription. Uh, it has a trial, so there's a low friction, uh, easy entry point for, for you to really get a taste of, of that journalism. If you're interested in working in the fashion industry, we have uh, the largest kind of careers marketplace, BOF Careers, with job listings around the world at different types of companies. Uh, if you work in the industry and you're interested in, in really in-depth uh, and in many ways consulting-styled research and analysis, you can check out uh, BOF Insights, which is the data and analysis business that we've just launched. Uh, and that would be the best way, I think, to, to get a flavor of the business of fashion and everything we do. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to put all those three different links in uh, in the podcast description as well. For those of you uh, joining us for the first time, be sure to check out www.beyondconsulting.info and subscribe to the podcast on either Spotify, Apple, Google, or Amazon. And um, if you're interested in getting in touch with us directly, it's www.eca-partners.com. But until next time, we will talk to you next week. Thanks so much. <music>